Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Good morning, LifePoint. It is a privilege and an honor to be with you this morning. My name is Jonathan Holmes, and I am the pastor of community here at LifePoint. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to be in verses 18 through 34. And as you turn there, I want to remind you of this series that we're walking through this summer. We've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew in chapters 8 through 10. And the series title was The Messiah's Mission, Ministry of Making Disciples. And there's this repetitive pattern in the Gospel of Matthew between these chapters. And we're going to reach the very last one. And there's cycles or clusters of miracles. So it goes uh, a cluster of miracles and then it goes to some teaching. And then it goes to another cluster of miracles and to teaching. And when Matthew does this, he is intending uh, to teach us something from this cluster of miracles. And we're going to talk about the final cluster in the Gospel of Matthew uh, this morning, but the first one is at the very beginning of chapter 8, and it teaches us that the Messiah came to heal, that he has the power to heal, and then there's a little bit of teaching, and in verses 8.23 through 9.8, he demonstrates his authority to perform these miracles supernaturally, and he does things like forgiving sins, which, you know, the, the Pharisees and the scribes were like, this is not okay, right? He's crossed the line. And this morning, we're going to take on this final cluster, and it's going to teach us that Jesus restores just as the prophets had predicted, that he fulfills what the prophets spoke of him, that he will restore all things that are broken. And this morning, we're going to see four miracles dealing with five people, and that leads us to one response this morning. And Jesus invites me He invites you to respond by faith in him to restore all that is broken. The response of faith is solidified on three core truths that we're going to see in each miracle. The first is the Messiah's compassion for all people. Then we'll see the Messiah's healing touch. And finally, we will see the Messiah's power and authority over all ailments. And so we're going to begin in verse 18. And we're going to be looking for the Messiah's compassion for all people. So Matthew 9, verse 18. While he was saying these things to him, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when, when the crowd had been put outside, 
he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. So our passage is, this is the first miracle of three, that here we see our passage introduces someone called a ruler. And so if we go to Mark's gospel, we recognize that this is the ruler of a synagogue, and his name is Jairus. So Jairus goes to the Messiah, Jesus, and he makes a request in his desperation. My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. The confidence of Jairus was inspiring. See, the question he presents to Jesus is not, can you do this? But Jesus, will you do this? It's assumed that he can, but will you? His confidence is unwavering. Now, Jesus had not yet raised anyone from the dead. But here we see Jairus believing that Jesus could do this if he wills it. Do we have faith like this? Of all the revelation that we have in God's word, do we have faith in Jesus as Jairus did as Jesus walked the earth? So he and his disciples get up and soon they're interrupted as they follow Jairus, right? And behold, that introduces something new to us. It introduces a new character. A woman is breaking through the crowd, reaching out to touch Jesus' garment. Now, this woman who had suffered for 12 years with a discharge of blood, this would have made her ritually unclean, according to Leviticus 15. And now for us, we don't know what that means. I say ritually unclean, you're like, that sounds okay. We're not, we have no framework for that, right? Being ritually unclean means that you were not welcome in the synagogue. You were not welcome in celebration. You could not be touched. You could not eat with those who were clean. Every aspect of your life was restricted. You were outcast and you were alone. It was probably this isolation that she felt that caused her to go this secretive approach. I'm not going to approach Jesus face to face. Maybe as Jairus did, I will go and if I can just reach out and touch his garment, I will be clean. Notice that the text says that this woman said it to herself. So just like when Jesus heard the scribes thinking to themselves at the beginning of our chapter, we see again Jesus knows the thoughts and minds of every person. But not just the thoughts and minds, he knows how she's feeling. She is separated. And she, he is going to use this internal conversation and make it into a public profession. And what did she say to herself? If only I touch his garment, I will be healed. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said of this woman's thoughts. Oh, that we were as eager to be saved as she was to be healed. Oh, that we had such confidence in Jesus as to be sure that if we come into contact with him, even by the least promised promise and the smallest faith, he can and will save us. My soul, when thou art in urgent need, be brave to come nigh unto thy Lord. For if a touch of his garment will heal, what virtue must lie in his own whole self? Then we see Jesus responds 
responds to her. And I don't know what you expect as you maybe read this story, but I don't expect this. Jesus gives her his full, undivided attention. The focus moves from the task at hand to the woman in need. And what does he say? Take heart. A statement of compassion. You've come to the right place. Take heart. My daughter, a welcoming into relationship. He knows what she's walking through. He welcomes her back. I don't know how you handle interruptions, but my wife would be the first to rat me out that I do not handle them well. And it's gotten worse, even with kids, right? So if I am typing on my computer, if I'm even just on my phone sending a text message, whatever it is, and a distraction will come up. Maybe she's beginning to talk. And in her mind, this reasons out. She thinks, I can think about two things. Surely Jonathan can think about two things. I cannot. I, I will not. And so as I'm typing, I'm realizing my brain is overloaded. And instead of stopping, I turn to her and I say, can I just finish this? Let me just finish even preparing my sermon, right? I'm going over it at home. This happened. And, and here we were at this exact moment. And I turned to her and I say, hey, let, me, let me finish this just real fast. And in that moment, if I was brutally honest, I would say, hey, what I'm doing here is much more important than you, Ugh, right? I don't want to say that, right? But that's what I'm saying with my actions because there's a sinful side of me who view people as sometimes less than the task at hand. I get so focused on the mission, the vision, the goal that I miss the people, which is hard. I wonder if you do the same, but Jesus never does. His compassion goes beyond all people. His compassion is overflowing. You are not a distraction. You are his. Jesus never misses an opportunity to show compassion to his people. When I was studying this passage, I stood in Jairus' shoes and I thought, man, what did he think? Here you are. He's like, okay, okay, there's hope. My daughter has died, but Jesus is walking with me. There's hope. And then he stops and he goes, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, there's, there's something here, right? But then quickly, Jesus' attention turns back to Jairus and, and that our story picks back up. He reaches the ruler's house. And after he confronts the crowd, he dismisses them. He dismisses them. And then he goes inside. It's quiet, maybe unlike the scene that just happened. And he takes her by the hand, and she arises. A miracle, right? She is from death brought to life, resurrection. And after this, we see his compassion reaches all the way to the grave and to the depth of our darkness. So I don't know if the woman who had the discharge of bleeding, I don't know if she knew exactly who Jesus was. I don't know if Jairus understood the prophecies that Jesus had begun teaching at this point. I don't know if they could pass a theological exam about who Jesus was or what he came to do, but this is what they knew. I have a need. Jesus is that provision. They knew that. I have a need. And Jesus is my provision. See, Jesus will never turn you away. His compassion is overflowing. 
and it is overwhelming to us. You are never a distraction. You don't make yourself right, then go to him. You go to him because he is the expert at making things right. You don't fix your brokenness. He restores it. All of us come to the garden facing many different things. Needs. We're facing disappointments, fears, loss, trials. Each of us in a completely different situation. And some of us in this room, or outside, are feeling so overwhelmed by that disappointment. By that fear that to think of anything else is ridiculous. Your mind is all consumed on this one thing. And the question this morning is, are you going to Jesus with that need? Are you thinking, well, sure, I mean, I'm a Christian, so I'm always following him. I'm kind of always praying. No, are you going to him? And you're laying it to him, reaching out and believing in him that he will restore what is broken. Because Jesus is the Messiah who has compassion for all people. So the second way now we see that Jesus is the Messiah who restores what is broken is through his healing touch, the Messiah's healing touch. In verse 27, we read of another miracle. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. So Jesus is addressed here for the first time in the gospel accounts by his royal name, Son of David. And I I love this, right? I love this because look at the irony here. Blind men can see that this is a king. It's beautiful. Son of David. And what is their request to this king? Have mercy on us. And after waiting until they get inside, probably not wanting the attention that he's beginning to receive, they get inside. And what does Jesus ask of them? Jesus doesn't ask the blind men what they want. It's evident. It's clear. He already knows. He asks do you believe? Do you believe I can do this? Do you believe? Faith and touch are given a central focus in this section of Matthew's gospel. The woman who touched the edge of Jesus' garment was healed according to her faith. Jesus touched the little girl's hand and she arose. And here we see Jesus touch the blind man's eyes and they were healed. Touch in faith. And here we read, according to your faith, be it done. And Jesus heals them. What an incredible moment this had to have been in this house. He has authority to give sight to the blind. But we need to do a little bit of correction here in this moment. Because many have used this exact phrase, according to your faith, be it done, to abuse those who are sick and are hurting. 
according to your faith does not mean in proportion to your faith. Faith healers will place the power of healing on the sick person's faith. The sick person, if they were not healed, well, what's the reason? They simply didn't have enough faith. No, that's not what this passage teaches. That's not what scripture teaches. It is not faith that heals. See, church, this is an evil distortion that has hurt many. Jesus' Jesus's healing touch is not dependent on the amount or even presence of our faith. Faith is our reliance upon and trust in God. The gift of faith is central to the Christian message. So Jesus makes it central to these miracles. He sees it's the theme. The gift of faith is central here, and his touch is the source. See, Jesus is intending to accentuate their faith in this story. But his power to heal them is not dependent on that faith. Faith is an instrument. It is not the source. You could say it like this. Faith places us under the faucet of God's healing touch. But it does not turn it on and off. The only one who heals by his touch is the Spirit of God working for the will of God, for the glory of God. The Messiah's healing touch restores the broken by faith. And then we see this, sternly warn them. Jesus sternly warns them. That's, that word sternly is, is not used in Scripture often. It's aggressive. It's firm. This is not a moment where Jesus turns to them and says, hey, if it's okay with you, could we keep this amongst ourselves? Like, that's kind of maybe what we think at this moment. Like, he's just saying, hey, I mean, if it works out, as people ask, maybe just keep it under wraps. No, he's saying, do not tell anyone what happened here. Why? Why does he do this? Why wouldn't Jesus say, okay, now go celebrate? I mean, these blind men are probably singing and dancing. They are, they are having a, an incredible experience, and they can't wait to tell others about it. Jesus sternly warns them because he wants his miracles to be interpreted with his teaching. And this is simply not the time. This is not the time. And so he asks them, he sternly warns them, do not do this. But what do we see? They do it anyway. So if anything, this passage teaches us, right? That these men do not have strong faith because strong faith always reveals itself in strong obedience. But you can only, almost understand why they're doing it. You can almost understand, like, hey, these, these blind men, I mean, they're seeing men now. They have a reason to share. They have an understanding. Their celebration of that moment was too hard for them to withhold sharing it with others. It was the excitement of what had just happened, and they simply couldn't contain it. They were ready to go. They were revved up. I mean, I'll eat at a new restaurant, and I'll have such an incredible experience I'm going to tell everybody about it. Now, I'm not a big social media person, but if I was, I would be posting on that. But I'm going to come back to the office and I'm going to say, Katie, I had the best sweet potato fries. you got to try them. And if you're there with me, 
I'm going to give one to you. And I'm like, oh, you got to try this. The crunchiness, the flavor, and I'm just, I'm, I'm watching you and your excitement for it, your delight in it is just going to make mine even better. And that's just about a fry. So I can understand these guys. But maybe why we lack excitement for spreading the fame of Jesus is because we believe that nothing miraculous has happened. Maybe we've lost the excitement of our salvation. We can understand the uncontrolled, disobedient fervor of the blind men who are now seeing men. And we go, yeah, I mean, even though Jesus sternly warned them, I can understand why. But when we think of our own personal salvation, we go, I mean, yeah, I'm a Christian. And that's the end of our story. Whenever I find myself in the place where my salvation has become ordinary, when the good news has become old news, it's because of one simple truth, so one simple reality. I have made light of my sin. And I know myself, and I, I think this is true of a lot of us. I make light of my sin in two specific ways. The first way I do that is I forget the true reality of sin. See, yes, we, we all sin, but we are also all sinners. Original sin, that we were born in sin, that our hearts from the very beginning craved what is not best for us. It craved to rebel. We desire darkness. That we are sinners. Original sin hasn't just hurt us. It has killed us, as Scripture says. Scripture doesn't say, oh, believers, you've been walking around with a limp, and now Jesus is your crutch, like you've fallen off a roof. We've fallen off the skyscraper. We're a muck of nothingness. Invaluable. Like, there's no value there. There's, there's nothing there. There's no life. That has to be a miracle for something good to come from it. There needs to be a resurrection. There needs to be restoration. And so when I make light of my sin, I do it. I do it by forgetting the true reality of my sinful nature. And the second way I do it is I compare a sin. Get it? I comparison my sin to others. I comparison. I do that all the time, right? I make light of my sin because I look at other people and I go, Woo, man, what's his face? Do you see what he did last weekend? I don't do that. Mm-hmm, Jesus, you love me more, don't you? Right? Like, and it's, it's awful. My heart moves to that, right? Where I try to make myself feel better about the sin that I had because I compare it with others. That a holy God saving a sinner is not so crazy to me when I've compared myself to someone else. Say, it makes sense. It makes sense why he saved me. Not so bad after all. The salvation story of each believer is a greater miracle than these blind men receiving sight. If we can understand their uncontrolled fervor, their disobedience to the Lord, surely we can understand that as believers who are not who are not sternly warned not to, but told, commanded to go and make disciples, that we will understand the importance of recognizing what has happened in our lives, to stir up the excitement in our own lives and into the lives of others, to share the miracle, the healing touch of the Messiah.
that has come to each of us, sinners saved by grace. So first, the Messiah restores what is broken by having compassion for all people. Then we see the Messiah's healing touch. And finally, the Messiah's power and authority over all ailments. Our final miracle here in verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. I love the simplicity of this one, right? Right? It's, it's the final miracle in this cluster. And it just is, I mean, A, the man is brought to Jesus. B, Jesus responds to the man's needs. And C, the mute man spoke. Right? I mean, this is unbelievable. But of course, look at who's on the scene, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just deal with the symptom. He goes for the root. He doesn't just open the man's mouth. He, he gets the demon out. He says, get, be gone. The demon was cast out. And Jesus invites us to respond by faith in him. To restore what is broken. And that invitation to respond that way is not what we see in the two responses that the text gives us. See, these two, this was done in a crowd. And the first response we see is that the crowd marveled. Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Unlike the raising of the dead and giving sight to the blind men, this miracle is done in a crowd. And you can hear the gasp from the crowd. They're marveling. They're amazed. Look at this miracle that has been done. Unbelievable. But these same crowds will be the ones who hear Jesus' teaching in John 6 and walk away from him and saying, who could follow that man? Teaching like that. It's one thing to marvel a small thing to marvel but it's a great thing to have faith the second response we see is that the pharisees accuse an exorcism leads to an accusation and the pharisees denied that jesus has the authority and power to do this they do something much more wicked in their response as one commentator said this calling of good evil is perhaps the greatest blasphemy the blasphemy that is unforgivable, Matthew 12, 28. Blind men cried out to Jesus as the son of David, and yet men with sight were blinded in their unbelief. This man must work with Satan. See, both responses will fall flat. And let this be a warning for this morning for us as we conclude in our time this morning. Scripture tells us of many of, who, of many who saw amazing things that Jesus did, yet they still missed the point. They were overwhelmed by the miracle that they forgot the miracle worker. Their focus was on what he did and not who he is. May our reading of the miracles lead us to the person, to the Messiah, the only one who is able to do these things. See, the Gospel of John calls these miracles signs. And this whole section, it shouldn't just be miracles of wonder and awe-inspiring, but they should move us to an understanding of who Jesus is. These miraculous acts weren't just for healing these people. They were to reveal who 
Jesus is and what he has come to do. These signs should bring us to the realization that Jesus must be the Messiah. This final miracle concludes the cycle of miracles and it reveals to us that Jesus has the power and authority over all ailments everywhere in all people. Church, let's sit in that for a moment. Maybe you feel like your need is too far out for him to respond to. Maybe you feel like it's, it's just long gone. You don't know the spot I'm in. Jesus is sufficient for your need. Jesus is all sufficient for everything in this world that worries us and everything in your life that causes you to have sleepless nights. Today you might be saying, but Jesus, I feel alone. I feel an outcast, like no one knows me and no one cares about me. Jesus says, take heart, my daughter. But Jesus, it's hopeless. The situation I am in is just hopeless. You don't understand. I've, I, I haven't felt your presence. I haven't. This has been the worst year. This has been the worst 10 years. It's hopeless. Jesus' voice reached into the grave and brought new life. Arise in his strength. Maybe you're saying, but Jesus, I'm hurting. I'm sick. His healing touch is reaching out to you this morning. And he's asking, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Jesus, the Messiah, compassionately steps into the lives of five people, performs four miracles, and that invites us to one response this morning. What's that one response? Jesus invites you and he invites me to respond by faith in him to restore all that is broken. Would you pray with me?